This is the Reluctant Leader Podcast, the podcast designed to help you if you've landed a leadership role through no fault of your own and now need to find out what you should be doing. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and have been there and know what it feels like and made all the mistakes. In each episode, I'll be getting to grips with a leadership topic by interviewing an expert in their field. You'll find out why they do what they do and take away some top tips you can use to become a more confident leader. For more content and to keep in touch with how the project is developing, go to www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. If you have any comments about the episode, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So let's crack on with the show. Today I'm talking to Susanna Braid-Waring. Susanna is a finance director turned coach and consultant. Susanna and her husband Heath have two businesses. The first, called Aspirin Business, is for her hands-on work in developing high-performing managers for both corporates and family businesses. The second, called Motivated Performance, focuses on train the trainer for the profiling tool Motivational Maps. Susanna and Heath support over 100 practitioners of Motivational Maps in the UK, Australia and Hungary. I hope you enjoy this conversation we had about leadership versus management and I will catch you all on the other side. So Susanna, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Thank you. Uh, before we get into the subject, which is we're going to talk about the difference between leadership and management today, um, I think it'd be interesting for us all to hear of why you do what you do and what was the pivotal moment that took you down this route. For me, the, um, the, the two things obviously are intertwined. I, I used to be a finance director um, and now I'm a coach and, consult- and consultant, so I'm quite a, an, an odd mix, really. Um, but it really came from that pivotal moment when I was implementing what I uh, knew and uh, was a great set of financial controls, and I knew they could have a massive impact on the bottom line of the organisation. And I spent a lot of time uh, myself and with my team developing up this system, but very, very little time actually engaging the people whose input would be uh, crucially important, which was the project managers. And I realised at that point, it didn't matter how good I was or how good I believed I was, if I didn't actually want to know what other people thought, what their ideas were, what their concerns were, um, why they were behaving in the way they behaved, and ultimately how to co-create. And um, I realised that if I wanted to to make the impact and the difference that I wanted to make, I had to embrace this kind of dark art. Um, if I like to because that's quite a scary thing because we, we, we like spreadsheets. There's a reason why we like spreadsheets and we can hide away from people. Yes. Um, so numbers don't mind when you uh, change them and... Um, delete them and add to them and multiply them that people do um, and and I had to learn how to embrace that fully right. so that was my moment. Um, yeah. and when we did a management buyout of that organisation I knew that um, my passion was in building uh, businesses uh, with people and therefore I decided that I'd uh, leave that organisation and then set up my own business and I was either going to be going to teaching or setting up um, self-employed, um, and uh, I decided to go to go this route. That was ten years ago. Right. Yes. Uh, so, so when you say teaching, what sort of teaching do you think you might have got into if that was if you did take that route? 
So I'd, I'd been at school for three years and helped to turn the school around from mm. uh, special measures. Um, it's now um, a good school. And um, I'd been a volunteer um, as, as my children were growing up. And I was still a volunteer in the school. And I got a place in a university for a conversion course and a place in a school. And then my organisation uh, said to me, stay, work part-time, write your own job description and set your own business up at the same time. And that was a far more certain uh, route for me. Uh, and I'm really glad I did because um, I would have wanted to have risen through the ranks to be to become a, a head teacher so that I could have that impact and, and that more strategic view across the school. Uh, but, it, but the way that it runs and the way that um, there's obviously a huge amount of red tape, the curriculum changes an awful lot. Um, it's a, an incredibly challenging profession and I think it's incredibly difficult to make the kind of difference that you want. Um, so I, I, I admire teachers hugely and I have no regrets about the choice I've made. Yes, I, I'm absolutely with you there. Having come across um, several people um, that I've coached and um, just been friends, that environment is is challenging to say the very least. And um, yes, you've got to take your hat off to them. Absolutely. But it's eight week holidays and not what they appear to be. <laughs> no, exactly right. Yeah, no. There was us thinking that, yeah, it's a cushy, cushy number, um, all that holiday. But no, I think the reality is something quite different. Yes. Okay, then. So we are going to talk about uh, the difference between leadership and management. Um, how would you how would you start this conversation? Where would you where would you um, pitch it? For me, I start it by if you think about having uh, two boxes next to each other, one which is leadership and management. That's uh, the traditional view of that. For me, it's more like the infinity sign. So mm. if you get that uh, that sort of number eight and flip it on its side, but actually it's a, it's more like a continuum and. People, um, regardless of their job titles, people need to move up and down this continuum. Sometimes they're working more on the detail, which is traditionally more the management side, and sometimes they're working more on the, the strategy and the change, um, which is more the leadership side. And so for me, there's a continuum between leading and managing. Um, and then just to throw a curveball in, there's also um, another leaf, as it were, which comes um, out the top or the bottom of that, whichever you prefer, which actually is around um, self-managing teams, which is also known as teaming. Right, okay. Teaming, we can talk about that. It's not, not something I've come across up until now, so that would be interesting to talk about. Mm. Um, okay, so I, I, I always have a quick Google around when we talk about a topic before we have a conversation, and it's interesting what you find out. There's um, a website I've found where they've listed the different attributes this manager and a leader um, has or should have, um, and the typical things that I'm looking at is things like long-term and short-term views, um, being leaders having a long-term view, managers having a short-term view, um, managers leading with the head lead, and leaders leading with the heart, um, and managers telling and leaders selling, which is an interesting one, actually. Um, have you got any, um, any others to add to that sort of list? Yeah, I completely agree with all of those things. You know, leaders work on the business, managers work in the business, leaders are proactive, 
So for me, the leader is, is looking up and outwards away from the business at what challenges and opportunities are coming over the horizon and therefore where to position their organisation. Um, they're looking long term and, and this is why they are more proactive. Managers need to focus inside the business. So if you, if you picture leading the manager, they can pretty much stand back to back. Hmm. One looking outwards, one looking inwards, and, and that communication and, and interface between them is crucial. And so therefore, managers have to be focusing on delivering today's performance. Hmm. So it's very more about tasks uh, and KPIs, but of course, it's also about um, delivering those tasks with your people. Um, so you're doing it with them, not to them. Mm. I could definitely relate to the in, in, inward and outward looking because I think a lot of um, business owners who might describe themselves as leaders uh, are actually far more inwardly looking than outwardly, outwardly looking, uh, which would probably tell them uh, or uh, indicate that they're probably more managing than leading. Uh, and, and I think... Uh, before we go on, it's important to m- mention there's no good or bad about either. We've got to do, I think what you're saying is that we need a combination of both, don't we? We need a bit of management style and a bit of leadership style. Absolutely. I think it's, I think uh, managers get a really bad rap. I think it's seen as a, a little bit of a, a dirty kind of word. People don't, don't um, really give them the credit that they have. Um Whereas leadership is seen to be visionary and inspirational and charismatic and all of these things, um, and I think the reality on I mean, it there was a, there was something I read that it was only written last year, uh, and I was really shocked. It said a manager can describe what their employees are, i.e., their job titles, their compensation, the years in the job. A leader can describe who their employees are, what motivates them, their strengths, their interests and concerns. Managers use language to talk and tell, while leaders use language to listen and learn. Leaders use influence and managers use power. Mm. Um, for me, that is so old. It's so, so old because, because we, um, you know, in the Industrial Revolution, that's kind of how it was. The Industrial Revolution brought people together because we had all this, this, these machines and the machines um, operated them on these uh, 24-hour kind of systems and people literally fitted themselves and their lives around it. And that's what formed all of our uh, current kind of thinking and methodology and, and mindsets. And of course, that has completely changed, and the, but our mindsets haven't, haven't caught up with that. So people used to accept um, that their managers would tell them what needed to do. They didn't need to think for themselves. But that is completely different now. Mm. Um, the role of the manager, I think, has completely changed. And, and I think of them as very much a, a squashed role because they have the, the expectations of their, um, their leaders, their managers above them. They have the expectations of customers, which are changing and, and ever-demanding to meet with. And they have the, the expectations of their employees, their team, which are ever-changing and ever more demanding to deal with. So they're very squashed. They have to deal with all of this. Mm. And employees, you know, don't, um, they want clarification. They want um, um, clear expectations. 
and they want some uh, yeah, real clarity around actually what does good look like and when, um, but they also want to be encouraged and listened to and valued and supported and empowered. And that's what managers do. Hmm. Look, and, and what you described there is is that managers can quite often, if they if they've got maybe a board of directors above them and also a shop floor below them, they can very very quickly feel that they're trapped, almost like um, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, and but what we're talking about here is actually um, embracing that managers are needed, but knowing and or or talking about what they can also do to empower themselves to become more leadership focused because we don't have to be in charge to be a leader let's face it absolutely and i think we have to delegate to you know a, a lot more of the decision making um lower down because actually because of these changing demands it's, it, there's more technology there's um, more global markets it's a more challenging environment it's more challenging to be able to find um, quality talent nowadays then managers have to be able to adapt on the fly, as it were, but, but they're, they're having to think about how they're going to do this um, to implement change. And at the same time, they're having to deliver on today's performance and meeting today's objectives. And that's enormously difficult. Mm. The result of that, of course, is that leaders then get stuck down into the detail, which then means that they're having to either step in and, and sort things out, um, in, literally in terms of the hands-on, or they're having to sort of put, put more kind of processes and rules and all sorts of other things in place. But it means that they're then not able to pay the same amount of attention to looking outside of the business and are potentially missing these opportunities um, and challenges. Mm. Absolutely. And, and, and you have to feel sorry for those people that might feel that way. Um, I, I guess in my own experience, I, didn't, I haven't really felt that way because I've been involved with a family business. You always had some influence on how things were, were um, progressing and um, hoping that, you know, your, your voice, having a voice is important. And, and, I, and I guess that's, that's the important thing, isn't it? Having a voice um, that both, goes both ways so that it's, you're being heard by your um, your team and also that you're actually being heard from above so you, you are feeling that you're you're fitting in and, and, and influencing from both ways which again is that's the, that's the challenge isn't it quite often yeah it's enormously important mark the uh, when you look at um, appraisals for example mm. so the large organizations i work with a mixture of corporates and um and, and owner managed family businesses um Large corporates, a lot of them caused their appraisal systems about two years ago now because they knew that they were not making the difference in terms of behaviour and performance that they wanted. And they, there was a period of uh, almost not knowing what else to do. And the CIPD uh, released some recommendations um, uh, a year ago. And it was very much about two way conversations, out of which appraisals are part of that and it's a genuine two-way conversation where you genuinely want to hear what the employee is thinking and feeling and what their ideas are and um, of course all of that is important for generating um, ideas into the business because of course they're they're at the shop floor they understand a lot of the the actual day-to-day challenges and things that are getting in their way and if you don't 
uh, hear them and act upon that, then that then turns and becomes a sense of frustration and disengagement and well, why should I even care? Because they don't care about what I think anyway, so why should I bother caring in the first place? Um, and of course, all of that is called employee voice, which is one of the four enablers of employee engagement. Yes, and uh, we've talked about that before on the podcast about the four. What's the report? Remind me. Can you? What's the? So uh, I think Steve Jane have talked about the engage success organisation, yes. um, which was set up at the behest of the of the um, UK government to identify kind of best practice, and then almost backwards engineer it to see what are they doing, and yeah. then we can start to copy those same kind of uh, uh, yeah. tactics and strategies. Yes, and, and we're, we're going back to what is a, a common discussion around having not only a, a, a business vision and, and a why, but actually within that business, it's having a, a, a why for each team as well, isn't it? It's, it's, it's knitting all those whys and uh, together so that everyone has their individual responsibility, but actually are aware of the the, the actual goals and vision of the overall business as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and uh, it's, I mean, you and I both share a, a common tool in motivational maps, and, and we know that our, all the people mapped by motivational maps organization, about 80% of those are motivated by the search motivator, which is that um, wanting, needing to have purpose in their lives to be able to make a difference. So it's really important that we help people to see how they are contributing and how their contribution makes a difference, not just today, but to the, um, their colleagues, to their customers, to the overall success of the organisation. And um, all of that, again, fits in with the strategic narrative, which is one of the enablers of employee engagement. And I think it's, it's a really easy thing to do because it's... it's um, Certainly, I, as a finance director, I, I manage my team, and we had our own mission. And mm. we could always go back to what is our mission, and that really helps with clarifying, are we on track here, or are we starting to get distracted? Are we actually delivering value? And I think that um, in the same way that you see large organisations uh, struggle nowadays because they get unwieldy um, compared to new startups which are lean and agile, you have to be able to demonstrate your value as an organisation or as a team. And you must always be managing yourselves to go, are we delivering best value as a team, regardless of whether you're employed or not? Yeah, and that's so that's so important, isn't it? And, and I was just going to... Uh, to stop you there because obviously you've done some some work with some very large organizations and and do you think there's much difference between a large organization and um, a family or a sme type business uh, what, what what do you see as the differences there's obviously the differences which you sort of covered any, a little bit already there, there are huge differences i mean the, the, i really struggled to identify why i work with corporates and family small family businesses and it's not about the size it's not about the location it's not about the industry it's about shared values mm. and so for me it's about they're ambitious because they want to achieve things that they want to improve and they're big-hearted because they genuinely care about their customers and their employees and um 
And so I'm fortunate that often the corporates and the organisations that I work with share these. So I have a, um, a I guess, a limited view in, in that kind of... I'm sure that's not uh, that's not by accident, though, Susanna. No, it's not by accident. Because you, you can't bring your best if you don't share values with, with, with your clients. Yes. Um, and so um, large organisations, brilliant because, of course, they have the scale and the impact... But everything is very slow because they have to be able to deliver it consistently across the organisation. They have a number of initiatives which conflict, um, and it's, um, it's it's difficult to really be able to implement and embed things. And of course, they're also spread geographically over a very large area. Hmm. Um, whereas the smaller family businesses are much more um, agile, much more kind of responsive. But of course. Um, you also have a lot of that, um, which is also part of the big heart, is, is they, they, they want to kind of look after people who've been there a long time. And I think that's enormously difficult because sometimes the people who've got you to where you are are not the right people to get you to where you need to go to, particularly with the increasing dependence on technology and speed and change. Um, and you want to be able to do that ethically and morally right so that it's it's um you give them every opportunity and you um help them also decide is is this journey actually what you want to be part of hmm. so it brings up lots of different different aspects yeah and i think what, from my experience and, and, and I'm, I'm assuming yours is similar is that when you've got someone that's in a management or leadership position one of the biggest challenges they have is that they know they got to manage um, and whether they want to manage or not is another thing. But they also realize that a lot of people want some freedom. So they, they've got this um, little bit of a, a tricky situation as to how much do they manage and how much do they give freedom? And, and, and is that something you've come across? Of course, it's, it's uh, you know, spirit is one of the top motivators of, of SME mm-hmm. uh, business owners. Um, it's very often the reason why they got out of corporate because they want that freedom to do things in their own way and to do what they want to do. Um, and it, it's it's um, you know it's one of the it's one of the uh, most challenging motivators. But I also love it because spirits have got some real fire about them. They bring their own passion, and if you can align that passion then actually they can be fantastic because they want to, uh, you don't have to get on their back, you don't have to chase them. What you do need to do is put the spade work in very early on to make sure that you've got real clarity and real shared understanding around what we're trying to achieve here, what's our purpose, what does good look like um, in all sorts of ways and including how we talk to our clients um, and then just keeping a regular conversation going on, but then they'll just they'll just crack on with things, and they'll also bring in um, almost some lateral thinking. So they'll bring in kind of new ideas. And um, as you know, I work for my husband; he's got spirit. So um, we this just, is just, just explain for, the, for those that aren't um, familiar with motivational maps terminology. Um, what, just explain what our spirit is. It fits alongside Maslow's hierarchy. The, the searcher that I referred to earlier, the spirit, um, are amongst the blue growth motivators. So they're all about moving forwards and innovation and, and bringing change. So they're always those forward looking motivators. 
And again, there's no there's no ones that are better or worse. It's just understanding the differences and how to to tap into those. So um, you know, Heath and I will bring different things in, and he's quite often bring a curveball in. And I have to just take a breath and get my hands up, and this could be a fantastic opportunity. Of course, it is never what I would want because it wasn't on my radar, but that's that's the definition of a curveball. And he's brought in some amazing opportunities. And you just have to let go of control. You have to trust. And this is this is a shared understanding. This is this regular communication. And you have to trust and you have to empower. And you also have to be um, not be afraid to have those difficult and challenging conversations to say, is this, is this important? Is this goal, shared goal, more important than this argument over this minor thing here? And if it is, we, we have to find a way forward. Yeah, and that's interesting because I, I was just looking down this list again that I, I found on on the, uh, when I googled this um, leadership versus management thing, and one of the things is they list subjects as direction. Uh, managers um, stick to the existing road, whereas leaders look for new roads, which is interesting. Exactly what we're talking about here, isn't it? And I, I and I, I'm I'm uh, there's no good uh, well there's no good or bad about this, but if we set um a direction or a vision and we set along a path a road or whatever we're going to um if you i suppose if your management uh, if you're more management than leadership i suppose you think well we've set a direction we've got to get there now whereas i guess when you're more your style is more leadership is is actually well we've started down this this um this road but when we come to the fork in the road you know, we've got to decide which fork we take because we know that this road isn't going to be just one straight road because it's going to be quite windy along the, the way. So it's actually flexing either that management or that leadership style at the right time, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's really important that we have both sets of, of uh, interests and, and talents to go alongside that, regardless of the role, and we set aside time to do both of those things. So you're right, the leader should be focusing on that um, effectiveness. So are we doing the right thing? So they should be looking for that fork in the road and they should be creating the forks in the road and actually going, what's the best way of achieving this? And regularly stepping back and taking stock of what's working well and what's not. Um, and also looking at you know, competitors, looking at the clients, looking at changing needs and, um, and how we might address those. Managers are paid to um, deliver today's performance, and that's really important. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they need to be problem solvers, so they should always be looking for more way, you know, ways to increase efficiency and to be real problem solvers. Um, so again, they need time to be able to step back from the day-to-day and go, hang on a second, is there a more efficient way that we can be doing this? And that's how they start to develop sort of the problem-solving and innovation skills that will enable them to become leaders. Mm, yeah, uh, that's um, well put, and, and it all makes you think a bit differently, doesn't it? When you, I can say, I've never really looked into the difference, but I know there obviously is is a difference. But when you start thinking about it, it's quite um, important to to make sure that you're aware of both styles as such really we're talking about a mixture of what most people have got to be you have to be management uh, and management in in sometimes uh, in some instances i should say uh, and more leadership and others um 
this is uh, all good stuff. I'm just I'm just worried about the time, um, Susanna. Um, I think it'd probably be a good time to now just just to sum up what we've been talking about. And as you know, I always ask uh, the interviewees to give us some top tips to take away. So, what would your top tips be? for anybody that's in a leadership position, but also being um, having to flex that management style as well? Absolutely. So for me, it's about um, being very conscious that, that your business is all about kind of reluctant leaders. Mm. Uh, so for reluctant leaders and managers, you, I really encourage you to use processes and standards rather than relying on your personal you know, charisma and energy to make things happen. When everyone knows what good looks like in a team of what we do, why we do it, and how we do it, then everyone can share the responsibility of making that happen. And it's much easier to understand what's happening because when you've got those processes and standards and they're not being followed, then you can identify, is it because they don't know what they should be doing? Is it because they don't want to do it or is there something else getting in the way? Yeah. So that's the first tip is use yeah. processes and standards. Yeah. The second one is um, get interested. Get interested in your team and pay them attention. So we know the number one driver of employee engagement is the engaging manager, somebody who genuinely um, understands them, cares for them, and enables and empowers them to bring their best performance. So all of that results in people wanting to do their best. It results in uh, increased productivity, increased innovation, increased um, net promoter scores, increased employee retention. And that's massively key right now because it's very difficult, as you said, to recruit talent. So you've got to make sure that actually you invest in keeping and growing the talent that you have. And then thirdly, rather than looking at management development as, as just a cost, use it as an opportunity to create your dream team. And don't wait until the end of the management development to influence the outcome of it. So pay attention to the people who are keen to learn and give them opportunities to develop their skills during the development. And also pay attention in particular to those who are not keen to engage and actually are not using the opportunity to make a difference and then hold them to account, start having those difficult conversations then and see if they want to turn it around or not because they've been given the opportunity to learn how. If they don't want to, at some point, you're going to have to have a conversation and decide which way that goes. So you know, just kind of going back on that, you know, use those processes and standards, get interested and pay attention and use management and development as an opportunity to create your dream team and decide who's in the boat and who needs to get out the boat. Brilliant. Thank you, Susanna. That's um, summed things up very nicely. Um, I'm sure there's, well, there's loads of value there. Uh, I'm sorry that we've run out of time, but um, I thank you for your, thank you for your time. And hopefully we'll get another chance some time to um, have another discussion. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Marcus. Really lovely to discuss this with you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to leave a review. Don't forget to check out The Reluctant Leader Project at www.thereluctantleader.co.uk. 
Make a note to start, stop or continue doing whatever struck a chord in this episode. And until next time, be the best you can be. Be the best you can be.